0: Mobile operators, operators are betting that 5G, 5G networks are going to drive down, down OPEX and CAPEX, but, but the big question, question is, will, will the, the uh, equipment, equipment manufacturers and software providers let them cooperate and make, that, make that, that choice to drive to down, down open source, source networks? Source so today, today we're going to have, have a lively discussion with, Victor, with Victor, Victor, Greta Victor Greta as our co-host, and we're going to have, have segments, segments of video, video interviews with InterDigital and Open Networking Foundation before we jump into those videos, Victor, good to see you again.
1: Good to see you, Jeff. Uh, let's, uh, let's say hello say to, our to our sponsors. sponsors. We, we got, got telecom, telecom Careers, careers which, is, which one is one of the, of the industry's, industry's largest resume databases and job boards, Comscope. Com
0: and, and also, also uh, please, please make sure to register sure for the wireless, wireless Infrastructure Show that's coming up, coming up next month, month, and that's a PCI, that's a PCI hosted, hosted event. event.
2: Telecom Careers, the number one global telecom and wireless job board. TelecomCareers.com Comscope, thinking beyond today's technology to help you make the best decision for your network and your business. Register today for the Wireless Infrastructure Show, the premier national event for mobile network solutions, produced for the industry by the industry thanks for
0: joining this week's episode is episode five of coders our co-host today is victor greta victor thanks for joining us
1: thanks b thanks for having me here
0: so you're going to be in austin next week for the angry right. Dad yep. gamer twitch tv episode what can we expect to see and who's going to be your guest
1: uh our guest will actually be a good friend of mine from a long time ago when we first started to uh ck sample the third he works with chaotic moon studios and He's a great guy, but he's also a gamer. He's also a dad, and uh, he can be very boisterous, so he fits in perfectly with Angry Dad Gamer. But he's also a developer, so he, he, we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff while he's doing some kind of game with headshots.
0: Well, today we're going to be talking about 5G networks, open source code, and we've got some interviews with InterDigital. They are a, are a research and development company. They they have some 21,000 patents. They've been around for 30 years focusing on uh, uh, proprietary technology for wireless networks. Um, we're also gonna have Dan Pitt, who is executive director of Open Networking Foundation. Uh, before we dive in, maybe just give us some perspective on, on your thoughts on open source in terms of what you've seen over the past 10 years. Well,
1: you know, open source software in general has become a foundation for a lot of companies who are building things. Uh, Apple has used it uh, to build, help build Safari. Uh, a lot of our networking protocols and a lot of server technology, of course, relies on open source because the theory being that these communities have a shared interest in building something, and they want to share that back with each other, and so they can avoid licensing and other commercial issues that can sometimes slow standards and and slow the progress of things. So, you know, when there's a sort of use case for it, open source is incredibly powerful. Uh, as long as people play nicely with it right
0: (laughs) well in my opinion there's a fist fight brewing and you've got the carriers on one side who would love to have complete open source and really commoditize the equipment vendors and the software vendors and on the other side you have the equipment vendors and the software guys who want to create a little bit of extra sauce in their standards so they can drive up the margins so um Uh, Why don't we go to this first video clip from Dan Pitt. He's the executive director of the Open Networking Foundation.
2: So ONF was publicly launched four years ago last week. Uh, We came out of this sort of accidental effort at Stanford University supported by major uh, operators, network operators, to kind of be able to somehow program the network the way they program, you know, computers. Um, They opened up the network equipment, created a new interface inside that hadn't been named or opened up before, uh, separates control, puts it in one box, a simple server, and the forwarding in another, which is uh, optimized for packet or optical switching. And they talk with a language that was called OpenFlow. This was a PhD thesis at Stanford. Uh, But a lot of, you know, industrial representatives of the Clean Slate uh, Internet Design Research Program got very excited. And they said, gee, we should standardize this. And we got to make software-defined networking something that becomes successful in the industry. So they created the Open Networking Foundation, and they gave us this OpenFlow protocol. And we took it as our mission to help these operators um, leverage software-defined networking uh, in a commercial way. So we have uh, standardized the OpenFlow protocol, continue to update it, but we've taken a much larger mission to really uh, champion SDN and and open SDN for commercial success. So we don't view ourselves as a traditional SDO, by any means, standards development organization. We take on all the things we can do to help commercial success, bring operators and vendors together, for example, Uh, hammer out working solutions, instantiate it in in, in code and in real software when we can, and make sure that the open interfaces uh, and the open protocols are done at the right level of the architecture so that innovation can flourish above it in a creative way and below it in a creative way, whether it's in chips or control software or, or control applications or, or two business applications.
0: So, Victor, what strikes you the most out of that clip?
1: Well, I think that it's a really great idea, obviously, for the folks who are interested in You know, commoditizing a certain aspect of the industry because this is going to benefit people who want to build software, right? Uh, But the question is, you know, what are the benefits in creating a foundation like this? What are the benefits in creating a standard like this? And the benefit might have a detraction in some other area. So, what are the factors that lead to the acceptance of these standards? And can you get everyone to buy in? So, what are you seeing in terms of? people who might be polarized on this issue because of what it what it represents to their business.
0: Well, again, I, I think it's a bit of a fist fight brewing. And I uh if you look at the Open Networking Foundation, you've got OpenStack, which is another association, and then finally you've got uh, Open Daylight. So you've got these three consortiums that have formed, which are, in my opinion, for all intents and purposes, lobbying groups at the standard bodies. Um I think Open Networking Foundation, it uh it's it's Siding with the carriers, which is where it should be. Um, I think what's really interesting about the Open Network Foundation is you've actually got some of the over-the-top guys like Facebook and Google, and others showing up in that forum. So when you really think about uh, Facebook or Google, they're communication service providers. Even Microsoft, by the virtue of the purchase of Skype, uh, Apple with FaceTime, you know they're running hardcore communication platforms underneath their their traditional apps that a lot of people don't really think about. So they have a vested interest in these future standards. And we're going to talk later in the show about the importance of open networks and what that really means in terms of how it unleashes the potential of the software community. So at the end of the day, I think the most important thing to, to take away from today's show is that for effectively a 100 years, you've had a closed network. The carriers have guarded that network. Uh, no one's been allowed in. And with the network, this 5G network, you're going to see over the next three to four years, and a network that's going to be opened up and i think it's uh, the genie out of the bottle you're going to see these unintended uh, consequences by the virtue of this genie being out of the bottle uh, so those are kind of some of the key takeaways for me and i think it's really interesting to spend time with dan pitt who has a long-term uh, telco background uh, with nortel and some other companies and he's in silicon valley and he's uh, supporting the carriers from around the world i mean you got global carriers global over-the-top guys And yes, they have some collaboration from the OEM community, but they're really not uh, the, the key influencers in this particular group.
1: Well, and it makes sense, right? Because if things are being pushed by developers, if that's where there's so much money and pressure, right? That's that market pressure that's pushing them to open up those networks because these guys can then innovate on top of that structure,
0: well, you want to jump into the second clip where we'll go into a little more detail about uh, again Dan Pitt from the Open Networking Foundation. Let's go ahead and roll that, that second clip.
2: I think it has three essential characteristics to be truly open. First of all, it has to be published somewhere, which means you know, you know uh, in a document, certainly could be in software, where anybody can come and see it and look at it without having to get anyone's permission. The second, it should be some sort of a standard, whether it's a de facto standard or a committee standard. doesn't really matter. And third, and really most important, it should not be controlled by a single party or a very small cabal of parties. It should be community-defined, derived, and improved. And and that's the real challenge uh, for the industry because um, they've had protocol standards. And and you can see based on the sort of the lock-in experience of many operators that they don't have much of a say in it and we want them to have more of a say because it's their future that's at stake, and they know that. So we're, we're big advocates of you know, open SDN, where it can really meet the needs of a variety of different types of network operators through separate provision of hardware and software and the creation of software by them or others. Uh,
1: how important is this open network to the future of 5G?
0: Well, I think it's everything to the carriers. Um, yeah, they are buying into this uh, this promise of lower cost of operations, lower capex. I mean, that is the promise of virtualization, and NFV and SDN are uh, kind of the first elements to be. I mean, at the core of of, of this um, evolution to 5G, and and you'll hear it in many of our clips today. So, how important is it to, to to the future? I think it's it's everything, and I think the representation of the Open Network Foundation board members uh, that does include global carriers as well as the -the over-the-top guys, okay, the Facebooks and Googles and Apples, et cetera. Uh, I think the battle lines are being drawn now, and I think when they open up the the networks and they open up the APIs to the the creativity and the innovation of the software community, um, I mean, I I think, again, it goes back to my previous comment, the genie is out of the bottle. And um, I think you're gonna see innovation on unprecedented levels. When you talk about the Internet of Things, today the talking points are, data surging 50 billion connected devices and those are just kind of big talking points but when you open up the the network and you open up devices to the software development community you really and again it's an overused word but you democratize the the network and uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens it's going to be interesting to see how open the carriers and the oems and the device providers really allow that network to be
1: well, that's the devil in the details right as they're working out the proposals and working out the standards we've still got a long way to go
0: well, we got one final clip from uh again from open network um, foundation so why don't we roll that clip real quick what can you tell us about your board of directors
2: so our board of directors is all major network operators uh, and they really want to drive this bus they formed us so that they could drive this thing um, we have You know, eight major operators on the board uh, and plenty of other, you know, operators as members among our 140 members. Uh, But we have four main data center internet operators, you know, Google, Facebook, Yahoo, and Microsoft, three major telecom service providers, North America, Europe, and Asia in Verizon, Deutsche Telekom in Germany, and NTT Communications in Japan, and then a major enterprise, uh, Goldman Sachs. Mm -hmm. Uh, The whole financial services industry views the network as a really critical part of their business. Um, you know, they're, they're regulated, they're under compliance, they have huge, you know, performance constraints. And so it's really important. And they wanted to be at the ground floor of, of this movement as well. We have two independent directors coming from the world of acad- academia representing themselves also.
0: What role do the equipment vendors have in the, the governance or, uh, uh, programs that you initiate?
2: We have huge participation by, uh, the vendors as well as by the operators. Um, the operators are in charge of appointing the highest leaders, but we have uh, vendors, you know, leading our, our projects, our working groups, our discussion groups. They're on our CTO council, they're on our software leadership council, they're on our uh, testing leadership council, and, and all the groups we have. Really to make this a commercial success, we have to get the customers um, and, and the suppliers to agree on practical, workable, engineering-based solutions that can get out in the marketplace quickly and be proven and experimented with and deployed quickly. So we have to bring these parties together.
1: So Jeff, uh, is it safe to assume that carriers are are even going to allow this sort of even playing field, this level of standardization? I mean it seems like uh, this is a lot of benefit for carriers, and I guess the question is who would be against this, right? It sounds like the vendors (laughs) and sort of went at pains to say, oh yeah, yeah, no they're involved and you know they're sitting here and they're sitting there at the table but I can't imagine that they're necessarily super thrilled with the fact that this could potentially cut into their profits.
0: Well, I think at the end of the day, that's exactly what, what should happen in terms of the carriers, probably the, for the first time in a couple of decades, having some sway over the OEMs. I think they, uh, and again, this is, this is my opinion. I've been on the operator side in terms of starting a competitive phone company, a, a DSL company, and when you're bidding out or creating RFPs for whether it be a DSLAM chassis or a radio access network and you've got uh, the consolidation that you do today. I mean, you you look, at you got two or three key wireless network providers. You got two or three um, um, uh, routing companies. So your options are fairly limited. And when you're putting out that RFP for a quote or RFI for information, you're going to get fed back um, whatever the equipment vendors serve you. Okay, so again, you're going to have on 5G over the next couple of years, you've got a lot of lobbying and technical participation by both the carriers and the OEMs and and the standards bodies, whether it be IEEE or uh, uh, L3GPP. And uh, I've never been to one of these committee meetings, but suffice it to say, that's where they're developing these standards and coming up with these prototypes. And we're going to run a clip in just a minute from an OEM standpoint. And so uh, uh, you've got... um, vendors that are trying to create proof of concepts today um, that haven't been and and certainly are not in the standard. So to me, I'm not sure if the carriers are going to be able to uh, 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 control the day, but I think they're certainly going to influence the outcome. But uh, it goes back to what I started out the conversation, uh, the promise of 5G and the promise of NFV is lower cost of operations and lower CapEx. And so you've got this, I call it kind of creative tension going on with these proof of concepts um, and then the, 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 the standards technical committees coming together. And it's, it's really going to be exciting to watch what happens over the next three to five years. I mean, but from your standpoint, uh, you're going to hear from InterDigital in a few minutes. They talk about that this is uh, the third wave of networks, but it's really back to the future. So when the enterprise networks uh, went to IP 10 years ago, uh, you saw a lot of virtualization back then. I'm, I'm kind of curious what your perspective is in terms of whether the carriers are going to be able to hold sway over the OEMs and software guys.
1: Yeah, well, I, I think it's a it could be very well a moot point if you, there's enough pressure, obviously. And what he was talking about with Facebook and Google and Apple sort of on board with this, obviously it behooves them to empower developers to you know tap into the power of the network directly like that so the promise of this I think is so huge that it's going to be very difficult for OEMs and vendors to say no we really just want to keep doing things kind of the old way um, and I think historically we've seen that when innovation and you know is so much much greater doing it this way is probably going to win out
0: yeah well let's take a look at this uh, next clip and and it's from interdigital. And they, it's uh, so Alan Crandall and Jim Nolan are talking about the um, uh, NFE and, and SDN as being the cornerstone of 5G. It's a great clip. Let's listen in. Is uh, the role of software and code in 5G? So I'm going to open up with that question. I'll let either one of you, maybe give me your first response. Okay,
3: I, I could go without first, Jim, if you like. Yeah. Uh, I think I think this, this this is a very easy segue into a discussion on NFV and SDN, and these are really the, probably the two cornerstone topics, uh, you know, the, the cornerstones on which 5G will be built. You know, as we see it, really what's happening with uh, the emergence of these technologies is is really it's, we're entering into the third wave of networking uh, again. Yeah, it's a bit of a, a back to the future move if you actually look at what NFV and SDN are actually all about, you know. But basically SDN is about creating the separation of the control plane from the data plane, and NFV is about pulling service logic from uh, hardware, essentially. These are basically moves that we can mirror back all the way back to SS7 and AIN and the soft switching revolutions of 10 or so years ago. What's really happening, back to your core question, is, is there's a move to pull all this service logic and these controller entities and create a much more innovative environment for third-party software developers to literally reinvent the way networks operate. So it's a thrilling time, and I think that is one of the things that the 5G revolution will certainly bring, uh, yeah, a, a much more open marketplace for software developers to do incredible things.
1: So it is, uh, as you said, a thrilling time to be in this stuff right now. The, the potential of these things is pretty huge. What I'm concerned about is, what is the benefit for consumers? You know, we see the different G's go up and, and so, so far, most of that has been about bandwidth. And of course, once smartphones came around, the bandwidth, you know, really was, was required at that point, a lot of bandwidth. But now what is, what is the benefit to consumers with a 5G network?
0: Well, Victor, if I could uh, maybe just leave you with a second thing to really think about. Had it not been for regulatory uh, pressures, we still would be using black rotary rotary phones, right? So yep. I think the future of 5G uh, is yet to be determined, but I think what you 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 um, you can bet on it is it's going to be consumer driven and it's going to be fickle, and it's going to be nothing that we expect today. Um, uh, again, I go back over the last 15 years when the wireline networks uh, were first. You first introduced broadband, whether it be DSL or cable modems, and you saw the wireline networks go from TDM to IP, and you saw this, this move of innovation, and, and what came out of that innovation? Google, Facebook, the iPhone. So those are pretty dramatic uh, seismic shifts in terms of what was available to the consumer. And when you look at um, your core question about what does it mean to the consumer, I think it means choice. And I think it, 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 it means that the, 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 the network is consumerized. And it, I don't know if that's really a word, but uh, uh, the consumer will rule, and they will self-select what they, what they want. And if you've been reading the, the, the business uh, journals lately, the Wall Street Journal, etc., cetera, Business Week, you, you're reading about uh, the pressures on cable companies' uh, earnings and the, um, uh, the, the viewership of certain programmings, particularly in the rerun market. And I think that's a reflection of uh, consumers having choice, Netflix, Hulu, and the the millennial generation who can pick and choose what they want to see when they want to see it. So all these things are kind of wrapped up in, you know, what is the future? Uh, The future is going to be 5G. And if you you go to the conferences, the the trade conferences, the big vendors and the carriers talk about uh, things like uh, lower latency and more bandwidth. Uh, and I think those do get baked into the standards, but those are not consumer facing. And I remember, and this is really interesting, back in 97, I uh, was uh, started a DSL company and, and we were trying to come up with different um, choices for our consumers. So we had seven different tiers of pricing because that we really didn't know what people would do with bandwidth. But we had a $79 product and then we had like a $495 product. And it was, the, it was literally the 80-20 rule no one really knew how much bandwidth they needed. So by default, 80% of the people picked the $79 product. And that really messed with our business plan, right? Well, what was our counteraction to that? We ended up coming up with two price points. We went to 179 and I think 299. And you saw about 30% of the users buy the faster product because I think 30% of consumers are always gonna buy cars with faster engines or um, Viking appliances because they look pretty. But uh, you know when you look at the mass market, they're going to probably go to the lower end. Um, so I, I, I just go back to what is it going to mean to consumers? Um, who knows? Uh, but I do think it evolves around the Internet of Things. I do think that uh, the over-the-top guys are going to play a key role. Um, but I may if I, if I could, Victor, let me turn the question back to you and, and kind of through your, your lens, what do you see um, for consumers over the next couple of years?
1: Well, like you said, it's it's really all about consumer choice. Uh, I think it was a huge move that HBO has put its channel on the Apple TV. So even without subscribing to HBO cable, you can actually get for $15 a month the same HBO programming through the Apple TV. So the consumer shift to where the consumers are basically dictating what they want now and, and businesses are actually having to respond to that, and even without regulatory pressures. Which is pretty amazing. Um, I think that's really big. And I think that's not gonna go away anytime soon. But I think what we're gonna see is more pressure, especially for entertainment products that use a lot of bandwidth. And I think we're gonna see a lot more of that, a lot more of integration and customers wanting the a la carte services and, you know, basically everything that they've wanted and now being able to apportion it out and saying, Okay, you know, pick and choose all the services and, and whatnot that they like, but also get it for a fair price and not feel constrained by it. Because I think there's a pinch point right now with the constraints on the network.
0: Well, let's come back uh, to a conversation. I wanna we got a couple more clips here, but let's uh, let's roll this next clip where uh, you're seeing some deployments, proof of concept deployments in, in Europe. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and spin that one up and we can talk more about what the implications are.
4: But if you look at those radio specifications, that becomes more transparent to the end user and the network. It's abstracted away in terms of what we do with the devices. What's really more important in 5G is is the cost. Um, it's really about what's the cost of, of delivery. If you look at today's network, you know a couple of dollars per gigabyte, and you know it's still in order or two uh, uh, above what wireline. Costs are, and I think ultimately 5G is about reducing cost again, an order of magnitude like the other parameters, from a couple of dollars to half a dollar or less per gigabyte, getting closer to what wireline is. And really, uh, the the elements that make up 5G will be more amorphous, more more diverse than what other Gs have been, and, and software is really the driver of that. And what makes it more amorphous is that you don't need to wait until a new standard for many of the innovations to happen. So Alan mentioned uh, software-defined network and network function virtualization, and then there's things in terms of Internet of Things and objects, but really what it all comes down to is, is it's not one singular standard or group of standards. It's a whole new set of broader capabilities largely being driven by our ability to do it much faster in software than we, we could have done it in terms of just doing it in, in hardware. So I think you're going to see many elements of what will be 5G, in a particular SDN and NFE, before you even see 5G access networks. You'll see a big move towards uh, 5G capabilities, but they'll happen independent of, of, of another generation of, a, of an access
1: network. Traditionally, it seems like it's been a bad idea uh, to wait for standards. So, some I've seen companies who just kind of put the cart before the horse. Now, in networking, you can't really do that because you have to have participation from a number of different people up and down the chain, right? What he's talking about is basically accelerating the level of the rate of innovation because now instead of having to wait for hardware standards, a lot of this stuff is going to be done in software, which should, you know can be deployed with the push of a button. They can say, here's new capabilities. And so trying to abstract that. Uh, I'm interested in your take on this, this concept, and, and especially as they're starting to roll out uh, test deployments. I mean, how much of this is actually baked right now?
0: Well, I think none of us baked. Uh, you started hearing the 5G drumbeat about a year ago at, at conferences. I, I'd say you started with Mobile World Congress. A year ago and and it escalated throughout the year and then it's almost become in in everyone's standard vocabulary today. I think uh, most consumers are probably know intuitively what four g and lTE means today and that 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 process took about four years for those terms to become like Kleenex in our our day to day vocabulary and so again, for folks in the industry, I remember showing up at um, Mobile Congress last year and everybody was talking about 5G and I was like well and everybody's asking everybody else at the show what is 5G the drum beats gotten louder and louder and louder but at the end of the day um, the initial Etsy white papers on kind of what 5G is going to look like are just now starting to come out so I think the standard bodies are coalescing I think some of the early movers like an interdigital and Ericsson and Huawei and Nokia and Alcatel Lucent, Cisco, Juniper all working diligently to be involved in these proof of concepts. Um, I think another, and this is probably the third big key takeaway from today's show, is if you look at um, technology as an economic enabler, and I think we can all agree, and I think there's some studies from CTI over the past decade that talk about uh, cellular adoption rates in emerging countries equates directly to literacy rates, education rates, and uh, GNP growth. When you look at... um, Horizon 2020, which is a European Union initiative where they've allocated billions of dollars to try to reclaim, if you will, being a center of innovation. So again, if you look back in history, you back look at Europe in the early 1920s. Kind of, they missed the industrialization of the 21st century, and a lot of that moved to the United States. And over the last decade, you've got innovation going on all around the world, and I think Europe as a whole, with the European Union. They came together and said, listen, uh, this thing called 5G looks like it's gonna be a big deal. And they've allocated billions of dollars for a number of different um, uh, innovation programs, but one specifically, which we're gonna hear from in just a minute, is called Xol, And again, it's part of that Horizon 2020. Um, There are 21 companies involved in a proof of concept around 4G, and they're gonna solve for one specific item, which is just one of many dozens that will ultimately be in a, a standard, but you've got this front hall and back hall. the lack of a, a management layer to be able to orchestrate between a physical network and a virtual network. And so you have 21 companies, InterDigital is one of those who has applied for and, and received some money to participate in a, an initiative. Um, so I think, going back to your question, where are we? you know, it's a foot race. Uh, it reminds me of the, uh, I guess there's that show about Oklahoma when they had the, you know, that they, they unleashed the wagons and everybody was going to stake out their land. To me, that we're just now starting to line up on the starting line. And you've got all the major players, and uh, I don't even think they've, they've said go yet, but you've already got about ten players halfway down the field. <laughs>
1: Well, that's, that's good in some ways. Uh, hopefully for the consumer, that will play out to be an advantage for them.
0: And, and you've got, again, you used to be editor of a uh, Atua. You saw Apple that had to create standards on a smartphone before I think anyone was even looking at standards on the phone. So maybe, you know, are there any parallels to what evolved in the, the smartphone world over the past seven or eight years?
1: Well, you know, one thing that's interesting is that FaceTime was originally intended to be an open standard so that other uh, apps could use it and even across platforms. But there was apparently some secret sauce in the compression algorithms that Apple didn't want to let loose of. So even though it was announced when FaceTime was announced that this will be open and, you know, they didn't say, well, you can use it on your Android phone or anything. Is that, but that was the promise initially. Uh, it never materialized because of some pro- proprietary stuff. So that's my concern looking at it as a consumer is that somewhere down the line, uh, people who are with their wagons out there and they go, no, we really want to protect our interests. And, and even if it's not the best consumer decision, we're going to do this anyway because we've got, the, we've got the leverage to be able to do that. And someone like Cisco actually does have leverage you know, like that.
0: Well, let's roll this next clip uh, from InterDigital. It's, um, they're talking about the x project as part of the Horizon 2020 program in Europe. And I think what you're going to find is going to bring us back to code and software.
3: Sure. And, and I'll, I'll even describe it from the perspective of some of the projects that we're working here in, in London. Uh, we're involved in a number of Horizon 2020 initiatives and uh, they're, they're they're quite sdn-centric and i can tell you the people that we're hiring here to support these projects are software developers because the nature of, of the, the the development work and the research work require software developers to get to jump right in and write application level software code on sdn platforms and uh, so it's very much central to it and it may not seem like a, a very logical a, a connection Uh, But we're working on a project uh, in Horizon 2020 called X-Hall, where it's basically about unifying front-haul and back-haul technologies into a common unified management framework. Where is that energy to create that uh, innovation going? It's it's application-level development on SDN platforms. Develop the management algorithms, the load-balancing software, the, the quality of service policy controls it's essential it's, it's software is driving 5g
1: so uh, so what is what is your take on this in terms of you know the the time that it's going to take to implement this right we're going to be in a vastly different landscape in terms of smartphone technology and with things like the Apple watch wearables internet of Things all of these things will be crashing down at the same time so, you know, it's good to have these proof of concepts now, but we know that they're going to evolve quite a bit. So I'm, I'm kind of curious as to how you see this evolving over time.
0: Well, I think it ties back to your question about innovation and what do you think we'll see. And the fact of the matter is, I'm not sure we know where we're going to end up, but uh, it's important to see a lot of proof of concepts that are out there at all layers of the stack, whether you be at the, the network layer or the application layer. And you you hear uh, Alan actually talk about the application layer as part of the proof of concept in Berlin but it's you know it's fundamentally part of a network deployment um, for sake of time and well go ahead you're gonna add a comment
1: well I think what's I think one thing that's important for people to understand is that what what I love about this idea is that they're trying to make a, a big piece of this pie open in a way that fosters innovation both above like you was saying both above and below you know the the both sides of the hall basically. Right. So, uh, and, and that is a practical benefit for consumers because developers have always found that when you give them access to something like that, they will take advantage of it and create new stuff that we can't even imagine right now.
0: Well, let's, um, let's run this final clip and then Victor, you and I can come back and just talk a little bit about some of the things that we think are going to happen. So let's go ahead and roll the final clip. Can you talk about the relationship between, uh, this, this Berlin project and, uh, you and um, and the standards body. I mean, you're you're pushing forward with the proof of concept. In fact, before the standards are the ink's dry on on any standards being developed. So, what is it? Creative tension. I mean, how would you describe that relationship?
3: No, it's very much symbiotic. Uh, basically, this is the innovation model that exists here in Europe. These these funded project initiatives tend to serve as a, a precursors to standards activities. So you've got a very large consortium who's basically working towards a consensus and solving a problem over the space of a couple of years, and one of the products of this project activity will be a standards, a standards contributions, and standards, you know, standards consensus that ultimately will be taken into bodies like the 3GPP, 3GPP
1: and the IEEE etc. So of course he's hedging a little bit by trying to explain that uh, you know it's going to take a little while, this is the very tentative first early steps, but I do think it's interesting that the prototypes that they create today of course, these proof of concepts are the sort of, I mean these are like beta builds right, when Gmail is in beta it's just like okay this is what we can do, this is obviously going to evolve and then you look at Gmail today and it's a vastly different product. Than when it started several years ago, so uh, you know how long does this sort of thing take, and how long do you think it's going to take us to get to 5G?
0: Well, the the early bets are on 2018 in terms of the next big Olympics, um, so you'll see some early semblances of standards in 2017. I think one of the answers to that question really lies in the the uh, chip manufacturers and the semiconductor industry. Um, so, while we were at Mobile World Congress, we met with a couple of the chip guys, including Freescale, and, and asked that very question. Because uh, when you think about the production cycles and the production lines associated with building a new chip, you've got uh, you know, 18, 24 months to just you know build the manufacturing process. So um, I think the answer lies in how fast can the silicon be developed, both at the phone Because all of a sudden you got lower latency, you've got uh, more bandwidth. So, you know, you get chips on the phone, you got chips in the network, you got chips in the cloud, and they're all going to have to be orchestrated and work seamlessly. Uh, But I think you're going to start to see some um, beyond proof of concepts uh, in terms of real tangible betas. I think we're in the alpha stage now, but I think you'll start to see some some beta um, applications probably in the early 2017. Um, and, and, and real trials in 2018, but I think uh, you know before you have standards galvanized, you're probably looking at 2019 or 2020.
1: So it'll take a little while, but it's, it's also the sort of thing that developers need to start thinking about preparing for right now.
0: Well, I think that's a great comment. Um, actually, two comments. One, you mentioned Gmail and the beta. So here's a classic example of how the over-the-top guys like Google can just move so doggone fast compared to a traditional telco. And I think that that, that 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 puts incredible pressure on the telcos, puts incredible pressure on the OEMs, because companies like Facebook and Google are saying, gee, I've got Linux servers. I'll just start building mode servers, right? So you see a, con- a complete disruption at the server level. But uh, the over the top guys are, I think, are moving so much faster. Um, and Gmail is a great example, and and other products out of Google, they, they beta things, beta things, beta things, and statistically, the answers show themselves and reveal themselves, and th- that's how they bake in their products, and that's operating at a at a at a speed that is just unknown or new to telcos. Um, but again, I come back to you and I come at the world two different ways. You know, what's your view, and maybe what are some of the other broader reaching implications of, uh, of 5G and, and uh, innovation to the software community.
1: Well, you know, the promise is pretty phenomenal and I, I can see why Facebook and, and a lot of the over the top folks are getting involved at this level because the understanding is, you know, lowering the CapEx, they can, they can take these things in carriers as well. By lowering their costs, they can take that and then improve in other areas. Uh, and this also gives flexibility to networks in a way that we've never seen. Um, I really look at this as it's not just the next generation, it's it's a couple of steps above in terms of evolution of our networks. And I think for developers that's going to be fundamentally important because right now you have to deal with so many things, uh, you know if you've watched any of my Twitch streams you know that you've got latency issues, there's so many things that sort of interrupt the experience for consumers. And developers have to work very hard to route around those things so to speak. So. I think that the real innovations here are going to be in more more seamless products, in products that work better, and anything that has to connect to the network is going to be vastly improved by the improvements that they're making to that middle layer.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Well, this shows about software developers, uh, uh, for software developers, and I think if you listen to InterDigital and the people they're hiring for the proof of concept in Berlin, they're all software developers and so you know one of the bigger implications for the software community it's all software if you hear hans vesberg at Ericsson talk at mobile world congress he basically says uh, he doesn't understand why the analyst community still classifies him as a hardware company you know he, he makes a statement that you know we're in fact a software company 60 to 70 percent of our revenue is coming from software and services so you know the, the oem's got to break from that mold and the Cisco's and the Brocade's and, and the Junipers, they have to break from that mold. And I think it's it's hard for the analyst community to figure it out. But going back to what it means to the software community, I think it's a huge opportunity for the software community. Um, now, one of the challenges we're going to have is you're going to have these the app developer guys and gals who now are going to have to learn a little bit more about, you know, an XML not an XML interface, but an open networking interface or an API interface. So they're you know, maybe you could shed some light on the, the, the types of skills that uh, the software development community who in the past may not worked with telcos. What, what kind of things are they going to have to learn?
1: Uh, well, it's, it's analogous to when you worked on the web very early on and you still used a graphic designer to do something. Or if you were a designer and the web came along and all of a sudden you had to learn a little HTML code or JavaScript or CSS and those sorts of things. So developers are going to have to pay attention now to network stack and in a way that they really didn't before that was sort of abstracted for them, I think. Uh, If the promises realize that they're going to be able to tap into things that maybe they weren't able to tap into before, then, you know, they're just going to have to educate themselves on the best way to do that. Because if you keep doing it the old way, you're going to find that there are inefficiencies. Uh, And I I think that really, that's another reason why these over-the-top folks are getting involved is so that they can help Educate developers because it's obviously in their best interest to create an ecosystem where developers can flourish and provide the best services. So, that may be one of the reasons why uh, they're really throwing in their hat to try to create this open standard so that the innovation can actually flow and then it's going to flow through them, right? I mean, there, there's a, an obvious interest for Facebook and Google and Apple to do these things so that those developer tools can then flow through them and they can be a sort of intermediary in that way. Uh, but you're right that the OEMs are going to have to get on board, and uh, and the software. I mean, software is going to eat the world, right? So it's uh, that that's the idea is that uh, so many things that we do, and there are some good articles out there actually about how many things can be replaced by software. Uh, but one of the things, by the way, that a smart developer will remind you is that on that list is software developer. So there's also that. Longer term sort of threat of well, software is going to be helping to you know commoditize network hardware, but eventually it might commoditize software programmers as well. So uh, you know, but but that's the thing. Ericsson's very smart to say that and say you know that's what we do now. You know, this is this is what's really driving things now, and we have the ability to control hardware in a way that we never could before, or at least was incredibly difficult to do. So if they are able to make this happen. Uh, it's it's going to be really a fundamental shift uh, of control and power for some people.
0: Well, Interdigital talked about the, the people they were hiring for their European initiatives. They tend to be C-plus developers. Uh, how hard is C-plus to learn?
1: Um, it's not that hard. It's one of the higher level uh, object-oriented language and, languages out there, and it's, while it's a little bit older, it's, uh, it's not that old, actually. Um, and it's uh, it's easier to learn than C. That's for sure. And uh, C is uh, it's it's been used for quite a while uh, for people who are building very strong, like I guess I should say, uh, bug-free, robust programs. Uh, it's very strongly typed language. So I think that uh, for a lot of people, the skills that they learn in any computer science degree, they're going to be fine with C. Okay.
0: I'd like to close on uh, a conversation about the The sheer number of smartphones that this Chinese manufacturer sold in a 48-hour period—I think they said two million phones—is um, the world order changing? And and how does um, how do low-cost, high-performance smartphones developed in China for adoption in um, China, Indi- Indonesia, and other countries? How's that going to shake up the mix, in your opinion?
1: Well, you know, it's it's again, it's similar to the price. It's you know Moore's law, right? You know, the price of silicon uh, getting cheaper, more powerful, and so you're going to see more powerful devices in the hands of more people, and that's absolutely going to explode again as cost comes down and power goes up. So I don't, I don't I, I'm still wrapping my mind around what this means, right? Because it's uh, the rate of that growth is going to go like this, barring some sort of world economic collapse. Uh, that's the one wild card in all of this, of course, is that those economies have to remain you know growth oriented in order to to support this. But at the same time, the costs keep going down, and this, these products, you know, just a smartphone from a year ago is incredibly powerful compared to one four years ago. So what's out there is already out there. I don't see any end to that growth just yet. Um, and I think it's one of the most exciting areas, but it's one of those things where we don't really know, what that looks like, because I don't think that we've seen uh, the sort of adoption that we're fixing to see, as we say here in the South. Uh, we're, we're fixing to see a mess uh, or just some really interesting times as those networks, you know, have to scale up to meet the demand.
0: Well, from one southerner to another, innovation is just around the corner. Victor, uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, just a to- few closing comments. Victor's going to be in Austin next week. We're going to be live streaming uh, one of his programs, to Twitch TV, on uh, Monday at 9 o'clock p.m. Central. Uh, next Friday, we're going to be talking apis with apogee we 're going to have the Chief Architect from Apogee on our show next week and we 're going to be talking about the application layer uh, Apogee is as many of you know uh, they raised fifty million from Kleiner Perkins last year they 've worked uh, with many of the carriers around the world, providing that layer of uh, innovation. Uh, not just for carriers, but also enterprise customers. So, Victor, uh, thank you again for joining us today. Uh, Viewers, thanks for joining us. We look forward to seeing you uh, next week. And I guess I do have one final comment tomorrow here at the ATX Studio Lounge, which is the world headquarters for RCR Wireless News. We're actually going to have a young Austin uh, folk singer here, and we're going to live stream uh, her event. Folks are more than welcome to come by the Austin studio. Her name is Phoebe Hunt. Uh, Look for that on our website. Look for Angry Dad Gamer on Monday night, and then look for Coders next Friday. Thanks for your time. Coders is a
2: production of RCR TV. To reach Jeff Mucci or to suggest a show topic for Coders, you can find him on Twitter at Jeff Mucci. For all the latest news on wireless code and the whole world of wireless, check out rcrwireless.com.